I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with higher for longer or sooner than later. Investors facing some tough questions when it comes to Jay Powell's next move. But my next guest says, bet on the ladder and safe no more. This morning, reports that Apple is joining the ranks of big tech companies cutting headcount to help reduce costs. Those details ahead. And here in the New York City area, former President Trump set to be arraigned in a Manhattan courtroom today. We are live outside the courthouse with what we can expect. That story coming up. Plus, Credit Suisse executives facing the music and some angry stockholders as its final shareholder meeting happening right now. We're live in Zurich coming up later in the show. And then later on, the crypto coin getting a big boost thanks to Elon Musk and a missing blue bird. What a tease that is. It's April 4th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's kick off this hour with a look at the markets and your money. We're checking U.S. stock futures after a bit of a mixed session to kick off the second quarter. Right now, we're seeing another mixed picture when it comes to futures. Actually, these indices just kind of ticking up very slightly in the green just a few minutes ago as we started the show. Just a minute ago, they were a bit mixed, kind of vacillating between the red and the green, negative and positive. We're also checking the bond market right now. We're seeing yields just tick down very slightly as fears of a slowdown continue. Um, also, oil prices putting pressure on these yields as people believe that that will also lead to a slowdown, the rise in energy costs. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But right now, the 10-year note, the benchmark at 345 the yield on the two-year note just barely above 4%. Again, something to watch. Again, as I said, energy, we're watching it. Oil continues to bubble up this morning after its best day in nearly a year. Take a look at the oil markets right now. We're seeing WTI crude a little lower than it was yesterday, still above 80 bucks a barrel, up almost a half a percent this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, above $85 a barrel, up fractionally this morning. Natural gas, a bit of a rebound. However, a steep declines year to date up this morning, just 1%. We're also looking around the world, mostly green arrows overnight in Asia after the Reserve Bank of Australia announced it's keeping its interest rates unchanged after 10 straight hikes. We're seeing the Nikkei up about three, uh, one third of a percent, excuse me, the Shanghai composite up a half a percent right now. However, the Hang Seng in the red. The European trade just getting underway, taking a look at the early action over there, green across the board. However, the FTSE 100 just fractionally in the positive. The German DAX, the best performer so far this morning, up more than half a percent. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories, including more trouble for J.P. Morgan and one of its top executives. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Yes, yeah, so the U.S. Virgin Islands amending its lawsuit against J.P. Morgan and its ties to Jeffrey Epstein, alleging that Epstein's behavior was, quote, so widely known at J.P. Morgan that senior executives joked about Epstein's interest in young girls, largely referring to a 2008 email sent to one executive, which was redacted in the complaint. Lawyers for the bank have previously described the claims as meritless. CNBC confirming Apple CEO Tim Cook and Disney CEO Bob Iger are among a handful of tech and media executives set to meet with nearly a dozen lawmakers to discuss China-related topics. The three-day trip, which will be attended by both parties on the House committee investigating China, follows Cook's meeting with the China's Minister of Commerce last week. And sticking with Apple, the company is reportedly cutting an unspecified number of jobs within its corporate retail teams, marking the first round of cuts for the tech giant. 
According to Bloomberg, Apple has told affected employees that they would have the ability to reapply for a number of roles similar to their prior jobs, Frank. Well, Silvana, thank you very much. We will be talking much more about Apple later on the show. We're going to see you later on the show as well. I'll see you later. Thank you for those headlines. All right. Now to a developing story this morning. Former President Donald Trump back in New York City this morning ahead of his historic appearance in a Manhattan courtroom later today. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with much more on this story. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, no doubt a historic day ahead. So hours from now, former President Trump is expected to surrender to authorities, be placed under arrest and processed. Former President Trump preparing to turn himself in to the Manhattan DA's office today. I think that it should be smooth. We're trying to coordinate and cooperate with everybody to make sure that there are no problems. New York police say they are ready for possible protest. President Biden told reporters he's confident law enforcement can handle the situation. No, I have faith in the New York Police Department. During this afternoon's arraignment, Trump and the country will learn the exact charges he faces. His former fixer, Michael Cohen, served as a key witness for the prosecution. I think right now he's beyond petrified. The investigation centered around hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels ahead of the 2016 election. Trump allies claim he's being targeted. We're talking about a prosecutor who, before he was elected, promised to indict Donald Trump. Cameras captured the former reality TV star turned politician arriving in New York Monday. He's a criminal defendant, people. He is no different from the brother standing on that corner that we're, that he's, his motorgate is about to pass. Sources tell NBC News Mr. Trump faces more than 30 charges related to document fraud. Lawyers for the former president say he will plead not guilty. And former President Trump's arraignment hearing is set for 2.15 this afternoon. Frank? So, Bria, we just kind of, you kind of detail what the uh, law enforcement's expected to do with the president saying right now. Any other reaction from D.C. about what is a very high-profile indictment? Well, some lawmakers here on Capitol Hill are saying they want to wait and see. They're just let let the process play out. Uh, But Republicans have been very vocal saying that uh, this is a targeted, uh, this is former President Trump's being a targeted uh, and saying that this is election interference, being that he's now running for uh, the 2024 presidential race. So a lot of mixed reaction here on Capitol Hill. All right. Bree Jackson, live in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. All right, turning now to Europe and Credit Suisse executives meeting with stockholders in Zurich right now following its deal to be acquired by rival UBS. This is the bank's final annual shareholder meeting in its 167-year-old history, and those attending are not expected to be happy. Our Germana Brissetti is live outside the meeting room in Zurich. Germana, you're there. What's the mood on the ground? Well, emotions were running really high into this AGM. As you just said, it is the first opportunity for many of these Credit Suisse shareholders to to listen to what Credit Suisse management have to say about that takeover deal that was put in place a couple of weeks ago. It started half an hour ago, and we got uh, the chance to hear from the chairman, uh, Mr. Lehman, as well as the existing uh, CEO, Urs Kuhner, about what they had to say regarding the takeover and regarding how we got to this state. Essentially, it was a mea culpa. Uh, the chairman saying that it is a sad day indeed and that they worked very hard for the transformation to go ahead. But in the end, there was no other option. They, they said they had 
two potential avenues to go down. One was bankruptcy. The other was this deal. Let's take a little listen to the chairman. We stand here today in a situation no one could have anticipated. It's a sad day for you and for us too. I can understand the bitterness, the anger and the shock of all those who are disappointed, overwhelmed and affected by the development. And that was the chairman speaking a short while ago, essentially encapsulating the mood of a lot of the shareholders here, in addition to some of the palpable anger also that uh, some of the shareholders and investors are feeling. Remember, many of them are nursing a significant amount of losses in their portfolios, ranging from institutional investors like the Saudi National Bank, the largest investor in Credit Suisse, nursing losses of over $1 billion, to all the way down to retail investors as well. So this is... Uh, their first opportunity to get to listen to what CS management have to say. Tomorrow, Frank, we get the AGM for UBS. Also will be interesting and telling to see what UBS management have to say about what this combined bank is going to look like in the future. So, Juman, obviously a lot of upset people there. Were there any commentary or any words about Swiss federal prosecutors looking into this deal at all? I think that is a very valid question, Frank, because an opinion poll was published recently showing that almost two-thirds of the Swiss public are actually opposed to the creation of what they're calling a monster bank. And before the AGM started, we had so many different people show up. There are expected to be more than 2,000 people in attendance, including protesters who aren't actually shareholders. We had climate activists show up. Uh, they, were, uh, they brought along a, a ship with the words Crisis Suisse emblazoned across the top. That is a symbol, of course, of the fact that Credit Suisse was seen as a sinking ship and now is a departed ship. And so there was a lot of anxiety, frustration, and also anger being directed at management ahead of this AGM. And while the ship has departed and while people have gone inside, this story is going to continue to rumble on and will continue to be one of the main stories that has encapsulated everyone's attention over here in Switzerland and in the financial world as well. Yeah, Jemina, we're looking at some of the pictures you're showing us. I know you said the ship is gone, but it's a, for the viewers listening, it's a capsized ship saying Crisis Swiss instead of Credit Swiss. Our Jemina Brissetti live in Zurich. Great reporting as always. Great to see you. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, what Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit is set to do as funding talks continue to falter. Plus, tracking Apple after its best quarter in nearly three years, while my next guest says there is plenty more room to run. And later on the heels of oil's massive move higher yesterday, a closer look at the recent rally in energy stocks. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Australia's central bank becoming one of the first to put the brakes on a recent string of interest rate hikes, despite inflation there still hovering right around 7% year over year. The move puts it at odds with our Fed, the Bank of England and the ECB, which all raised key rates at recent meetings. But inciting the recent banking turmoil, could the RBA be setting a new path forward for the rest of the world? Joining me now is Blank Shine Wealth Management Chief Investment Officer Robert Shine. Robert, great to have you here. Great to be with you again, Frank. All right. So we're seeing the RBA hitting the brakes when it comes to rate hikes. Um, obviously, a very different path than our own Fed. Do you see this starting a new trend? And how big of a, an impact do you think the recent banking crisis and also the recent spike in oil prices could have for the Fed here in the United States when they make their next decision in May? 
Yeah. So, Frank, last time we were together, uh, we, we were discussing that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates until something breaks. Well, something just broke in this last quarter in the banking sector, as we clearly saw play out. And on a global basis, you're seeing sort of the contagion sort of from a banking sector in a global market, uh, policymakers acting quickly and then seeing now a pause um, on interest rate increases could be the next trend moving forward for central banks around the world. So this is just the first of many. You know, right now, we believe that the Fed is on the upper end of a range bound, whether they raise again in May or not. Again, we've got a jobs number coming out this Friday, and the Fed says they're data dependent. So all eyes are on the Fed, as we're always constantly saying, but you you just want to be cautiously optimistic that the Federal Reserve could be at the higher end of their range right now. Okay, so if the Aussies are potentially starting a new trend, what does that mean for the markets? Well, as you saw this last quarter, the technology sector got a bid. We saw tech now start getting their leadership back. Uh, that could be positive for the technology sector moving forward. Uh, we don't believe the Fed's going to come outright and be outwardly dovish, but they're going to be uh, very cautious as they are are constantly watching the markets play out on a real-time basis and ultimately the banking sector specifically. All right. You have a few stocks picks for us. Uh, they include Charles Schwab, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon. Why are these the right stocks for this time? Well, Berkshire Hathaway, first and foremost, you know Warren Buffett's going to make some deals. He's got $120 billion in cash war chest, if you will. And you want to be with Warren Buffett in a market like this, because this is a stock picker's market, and he's that person that we believe in, and we own that for our clients. We're going to add to it. Uh, Charles Schwab, you know, the third worst performer in the S&P 500, down 37%. I think they're, you know, Un, un, unfairly being uh, categorized as a regional bank. We saw net positive inflows for our clients in Schwab and Fidelity. I, I suspect that's the case across the street, uh, everywhere else. And then, you know, finally, uh, you, you, you have to look at, um, you know, Amazon. Amazon is one of those that is cost cutting. They're doing everything right. And they have the leverage and the scale moving forward. They've been in a bear market for two years now. So we believe that Amazon will move forward positively uh, because they got the cost uh, cutting well under control. Yeah, Amazon shares up uh, more than 20 percent year to date. Robert Shine from Shine Blank Wealth Management. Great to have you here as always. Thank you. Thanks, All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Lamborghini taking the wraps off of its first ever plug-in hybrid. Why fuel efficiency or affordability is not top on the list for this more than 1,000 horsepower supercar. Much more on the story coming up next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera with your news headlines. U.S. officials are pushing for the release of the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who is being held on spying charges in Russia. The White House says they are tracking his detention closely. Gershkovich's lawyers appealed his arrest yesterday. The State Department says Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke to the Russian foreign minister, calling on the Kremlin to let Gershkovich go immediately. The journal denies the spying charges against him. At least 35 million remain under a severe threat as more volatile weather is poised to strike today across parts of the Midwest and the South. Officials say at least 32 people were killed after more than 50 tornadoes tore through some 14 states. So far this year, there have been 385 tornado reports. The average at this point of the year is 224.
Now to the hardwood, UConn and San Diego State battled for the men's national championship. The Huskies won every game this tournament by double digits, and they ran out to an early lead against the Aztecs. San Diego State pulled within seven in the second half, but it was too little, too late. The Huskies cut down the nets with another dominant win, 76-59. to It is the fifth national title for UConn and their first since 2014. Big man Adam Sanogo was named the tournament's most outstanding player. Frank, for Tuesday morning, those are your headlines. We set it back to you. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Great to see you as always. All right, when it comes to global car makers and their electrified futures, efficiency and affordability, they usually rank pretty high on the list of priorities. But for one company, 12 cylinders, 1,000 horses, and a massive battery pack, they leave no room for cost cutting. Joining us now, our wealth editor, Robert Frank. Robert, this one's got me a little charged up. This is one of those EVs that gets you pretty excited. (laughs) Yeah, you talk about charged up, Frank. This Lamborghini unveiling its first plug-in, but it's unlike any other hybrid. It's got three electric motors paired with a giant naturally aspirated V12 gas engine. The result is, as you say, 1,001 horsepower, 0 to 60 in under 2.5 seconds, and a top speed of over 217 miles an hour. The price has not been announced yet, but it will likely be well over $800,000 for this car. Every other Lamborghini after this one will have some form of electrification, And this is a big balancing act for the supercar companies. Their wealthy buyers love these big, loud, powerful engines, but the world is, of course, going electric. So a lot of them are rolling out these sort of cars that keep their engines and add a little bit of an electric boost. Lamborghini won't launch uh, its first fully electric car until 2028. It promises to be fully electric by 2030. Ferrari launched its big hybrid, the SF90 Stradale, in 2019. They expect to launch their first all-electric EV sometime in 2025. Supercar makers say orders remain strong right now in this economy. Lamborghini, Ferrari, Rolls-Royce all have long waiting lists up to a year or more. We're going to be sitting down with the CEO of Lamborghini later this morning and showing you that car. Frank? So, Robert, I smell an investigation. You and I, we get in the Lamborghini. We see if it really goes to zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. I feel like that's the next step Uh, on a serious note. uh, What about the electrification of its Lamborghini SUV? I believe that was its bestseller last year. It was. The Urus, which is their SUV, has just been a blockbuster success, sort of carving out this new area of high-performance SUVs. That will likely be their first full EV And the CEO in previous comments has said, look, given battery technology, it's just too hard right now to make a true super sports car all EV. So that Urus SUV will be there probably or some version of it will be their first EV. And yet to be seen whether these super sports cars can truly succeed as full EVs. You know, you look at the Tesla Plaid, it's hard to beat that zero to 60 performance. So on a serious note, are you getting to take a test drive? Are you getting to drive it around at all? Not yet. So not the yet. car we're going to see today uh, at the Lamborghini Lounge will be static. It will, will not be driving it. But I will be sure to let you know you'll be the first to know when we get one, if we get one, for a test drive, Frank. Yeah, I feel like you and I got to do it together. The first Franking Frank exclusive. Maybe, maybe. Robert Frank, always great to That's see you. That's going to be good. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the crypto coin getting a big boost thanks to Elon Musk 
and a missing little blue bird. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks kicking off a new quarter on a bit of a mixed note, with the down the S&P trying to extend yesterday's gains. Futures right now searching for direction. Energy stocks seeing a big boost on the back of the surprise output cut by OPEC. We dig through the oil patch and find the stocks that stand to benefit the most. And speaking of gains, Apple coming off its best quarter in more than two years, while your next guest says Apple, along with the rest of big tech, still has a lot more room to run. It's Tuesday, April the 4th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collins. Kick off the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures following that bit of a mixed start to the second quarter just yesterday. Looking at futures right now, actually rising as we're doing the show. Um, the Dow Jones looking like it would open up about 25 points higher. However, the Nasdaq seeing the biggest gain. It was actually, I believe, slightly in the red when we started the show. The S&P just fractionally higher. So we also want to hit oil right now after it notched its best day in nearly a year. Looking at WTI, the U.S. benchmark right now, just above 80 bucks a barrel, about almost 81 bucks a barrel, up almost a half a percent this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark, above 85 bucks a barrel, up about a third of a percent this morning. Natural gas off of its highs from earlier this morning, but up just about uh, half, two thirds of a percent. All right. Now for a check on the early trade over in Europe, our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, equities are off to a strong start. We've got green across the board. Every region is trading higher. We've got a few key corporates in focus. Credit Suisse chairman Axel Lehman has apologized to shareholders at the bank's first in-person AGM in four years. It's taking place in Zurich right now. The gathering is poised to become a flashpoint for anger over its emergency rescue by rival UBS last month, with CEO Ulrich Korner claiming the lender was left with no choice. Just six months ago, the lender launched its plan to create a, quote, more focused and more stable bank. Now it's, of course, collapsed. Its 81 bondholders have been wiped out, and the Swiss prosecutor has opened a probe into the deal. Speaking earlier this morning, Chairman Axel Lehman expressed remorse over how the takeover came about. We stand here today in a situation no one could have anticipated. It's a sad day for you and for us too. I can understand the bitterness, the anger and the shock of all those who are disappointed, overwhelmed and affected by the development. So the Credit Suisse, the AGM taking place today, otherwise known as a shareholder meeting tomorrow. We've got UBS, so keep an eye on that story. Elsewhere, in terms of M&A, L'Oreal in focus this morning shares up six-tenths of a percent. The cosmetics group has agreed to buy the Australian luxury brand Aesop from Brazil's Natura Company for $2.5 billion. It's the largest acquisition for the French beauty group in decades and the first one under CEO Nikolai Aronimus since he joined in May 2021. And finally, in terms of monetary policy, the Reserve Bank of Australia has decided to keep its policy rate at 3.6%, taking a pause to assess the impact of its previous 10 straight rate hikes. The RBA warned further monetary tightening may be needed as the labor market remains tight, but said it believes inflation has likely peaked. Here's a look for you at the Australian stock market. It ended about two-tenths of a percent higher. The Australian dollar, meanwhile, trading on the back foot versus the USD. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London. 
Now to CNBC's exclusive survey of chief financial officers and the results for Q1. We begin with 57 percent of global CFOs forecasting a recession in the second half of 2023. In our Q1 survey of these financial decision makers, a quarter expecting it to come in the first half of 2024. About one out of six have faith in the Fed's methods and the battle against inflation. They're actually expecting a soft landing. Now, despite those recession concerns, these financial decision makers, they're voicing their approval for the aggressive rate hiking campaign to control inflation. 40% say the Fed is doing a good job. Slightly more say fair, with only 17% saying a poor job. We get the next read on inflation on April 12th, when the March CPI numbers are released. Recession isn't the only concern CFOs are facing, but the top answers, they're clearly related to that possibility. When we asked the top risk to their business, 30% said inflation. Nearly a quarter saying consumer demand, 13% saying the Fed itself. One macro issue not concerning the majority of these financial decision makers is the financial sector. Our survey, starting on March 17th, just one week after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, 73% of CFOs say they have no concerns about the safety of company deposits. 63% say they have not moved any company funds from regional banks to larger banks. However, when asked about AI, CFOs seeing considerable risk. The majority, 63%, said they are evaluating AI investments, but with caution, Less than a quarter say they're accelerating investments in artificial intelligence. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories, including a new twist in the ongoing downfall of Virgin Orbit. Silvana now here, back with those stories, including that Virgin Orbit story. Remember, we had the guy who was supposed to invest in the company here on the show. I know, Frank. And listen, listen to this. So Virgin Orbit officially filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the U.S., the satellite launch company making the move after failing to secure a funding lifeline, revealing in its filing it's looking to sell its assets. The development coming after Virgin CEO Dan Hart told employees during an all-hands meeting last week that the company was seizing operations for the foreseeable future. That was according to audio obtained by CNBC. Now, turning to crypto and Dogecoin, surging as much as 30% yesterday after Elon Musk changed the logo of Twitter to the digital coin's dog mascot, Shiba Inu. Now, it's unclear if the move is permanent. Musk addressing the change, tweeting a year-old conversation about making the move, writing, as promised. And Warner Brothers is reportedly near a deal to turn the Harry Potter franchise into a TV series. According to Bloomberg, talks between the company and author J.K. Rowling's camp are in early stages. The plan would involve turning each Potter book into a season's worth of TV for HBO Max, Frank. I know a lot of people will be very, very excited about that. My sister will be. Never read the book, never saw the movies. Me either. Took the ride at a theme park one time, got sick. I'm just not a Harry Potter person. I don't know. I'm not either, but like I said, I know my sister and my mom. They will be very excited about this. Yeah, I'm going to probably get some tweets. A lot of Harry Potter fans. (laughs) Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, turn our attention now to the energy market. Oil prices rising again today after OPEC Plus shook the market with a surprise production cut. WTI and Brent crude both gaining more than 6% yesterday. That's their best daily performance in just about a year. And this morning, Goldman Sachs says prices could rally to 100 bucks a barrel by next April. On the heels of crude's pop, the S&P energy sector coming off an almost 5% gain. That's its best day in six months. Leading the way yesterday, Chevron up more than 4%, Devon Energy up more than 5%, ExxonMobil rising nearly 6%, ConocoPhillips soaring more than 9%, Marathon Oil gained nearly 10%. Let's talk more about this now with Jason Gableman, Director of Energy Equity Research at Cowan. Great to have you here. Good morning. 
Morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So I think the big question all investors are asking, how long do you see this oil rally lasting? Are the fundamentals in place for oil to rise up to 100 bucks a barrel in the next year or so? Yeah, I think there's going to be support through the rest of the year. Even before the OPEC cut announced uh, over the weekend, there was an expectation that oil was going to rise in the second half of the year. And the cut supports that further. And it's been our view that OPEC was going to underpin the market throughout the year, regardless of where demand would go. And we're seeing that happen in real time. All right. We are certainly seeing it in real time. Oil markets up this morning as well. So I want to ask you, is this going to spur the potential or possibility of more uh, oil production here in the United States? And what does that mean for the U.S. based stocks? It could spur it on a marginal level, but we think one of the reasons OPEC is comfortable cutting production and having the price reaction we're seeing is because the expected response from Shell Oil is going to be much more muted than it was in the price cycle. You know, during the 2014 to 2019 period, OPEC would have been less comfortable doing a cut like this because they would be nervous they would lose market share to Shell Oil. Uh, Given the current environment we're in and the discipline we're seeing from Shell Oil companies, that reaction is going to be much more tepid in terms of production growth as a result of higher oil prices here in the U.S. So I want to talk about some of your picks in the energy space. They include LNG. Um, That was a very interesting choice there. Obviously, uh, Chenier, one of their big products is natural gas. Do you believe there's a rebound for natural gas coming up? Yeah, so Chenier, ticker LNG, is uh, mostly exposed to global gas prices, which obviously rallied materially as a result of the Russian war last year and then stabilized a bit here uh, over the winter due to warmer weather. We expect those global gas prices to remain stable over the next couple quarters. But then as we enter next winter and Europe starts to draw on their gas inventories, we do expect global gas prices to move higher, especially given demand is going to increase without uh, a similar increase in in global supply. All right. So we have a couple things coming up here in the United States. We have the so-called summer driving season, um, which is obviously a big factor. Do you see that being something that pushes up gas prices? And also, we just have the continued recovery of China. How does that impact? I I know we're focusing mostly on oil, but how does that eventually impact the gas prices here in the U.S.? Something consumers really pay attention to. Sure. Gas prices are expected to increase seasonally and oil price is obviously a big input to the final price that consumers pay at the pump. And as a result of the OPEC cut that we've seen in oil prices moving higher, gasoline prices would logically move higher as well. That's exacerbated by the fact that we're moving into peak driving demand season um, for the U.S., which will result in further upside pressure on gasoline prices. So you have a combination of crude prices moving higher and seasonal demand, which will likely result in higher prices at the pump over the next couple months. All right, certainly something to watch. Gas prices already rising seven cents a gallon just in the last week. Jason Gableman, great to have you here. Thanks for the insight. Thanks. All right, sticking with stocks, Apple notching some major gains so far this year, up more than 27%, closing out Q1 with its best quarter since Q3 of 2020. The stock helping to boost the NASDAQ, which has been outperforming the other major indices as investors flee to quality on fears the rising interest rates, a burgeoning financial crisis, and a potential recession could dampen other parts of the market. Let's talk much more about Apple with Tom Forte, DA Davidson, Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst. Great to have you here, Tom. 
Thanks for having me. All right, so we're seeing Apple up big this quarter, outperforming the triple Qs that track the NASDAQ 100. Is this simply a flight to safety? Obviously, Apple doesn't need a lot of financing. It doesn't need a lot of outside cash infusion, so they're not as rate sensitive as other parts of the market. Or is this confidence in Apple's business? So basically, I see it as three reasons. First, you have the reopening of China at the end of their COVID zero policy. This helps Apple from both a supply chain standpoint and a demand for its product standpoint, with about 10 percent of its sales going to consumers in China. Second, Apple is positively affected by a slowdown in rate hikes by the Fed. So when you think about discount rates and when you think about the very rapid rise in the Fed funds rate and in discount rates, that had a negative impact on tech and valuation and Apple. And third, as you pointed out, you definitely saw a flight to quality uh, as, at the end of the uh, March quarter uh, following the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. And I think Apple definitely benefited from the flight to quality. It's among one of the most highest quality names, not just in tech, but I think in equities in general. Yeah, high quality name also widely held by just about everybody. So I want to ask you a question very similar to the oil guest. How big of an impact is the reopening of China for Apple and its ability to boost revenues during what could be an economic downturn? It's a huge benefit for Apple. Now, it doesn't change the fact that on a long term basis, Apple is still over dependent on China from a supply chain standpoint. But on a near term basis, the improvement in the supply chain, the improvement in demand from the Chinese consumer, uh, those are very significant things for Apple and good news for the stock. I think that contributed very significantly to the March quarter performance for Apple. All right. So I want to ask you about just this broader tech rally. Apple obviously up 27 percent, but the Nasdaq 100, again, tracked by the triple Qs, also up over 20 percent. New note out last night from Fundstrack, Mark Newton. I want to read you part of it. Um, in this note, he says that Apple and Microsoft show little to no evidence of peaking out. It's important for these big index constituents to show some evidence of tiring before growing too negative on expecting technology to peak based on overbought conditions. What do you think about this take from Mark Newton of Fundstrack? Yeah, so basically, I think that to the extent that the Fed has stopped raising rates or maybe has one more rate hike in it, uh, that's great news for tech, great news for Apple. Uh, so I'm not worried about the stocks uh, hitting you know, near-term highs uh, to the extent that I think that if the Fed has stopped raising rates uh, and when you look at the fundamentals for Apple, uh, there's more good news in the shares to come. All right. Certainly something to watch. Apple shares up 28 percent year to date. Tom Forte from D.A. Davidson. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. You too. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, former President Trump set to be arraigned in a Manhattan courtroom today. We're live outside the courthouse with what to expect in these historic proceedings. Much more on this story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning now to a developing story. Former President Trump set to make his historic appearance in a Manhattan courtroom later today to be formally arraigned. NBC's Jay Gray is live outside the Manhattan courtroom where those proceedings will take place. Jay, what can we expect today? Frank, the process here this afternoon will begin with the former president being read his rights and processed just like anyone else charged with a felony here in New York. But obviously he is not like any other defendant. One of the reasons all 35,000 New York City police officers are on high alert right now. Lower Manhattan on lockdown this morning. Streets blocked, an army of police and federal agents on the ground, and a warning from New York's mayor about anyone who plans to protest. Our message is clear and simple. 
control yourselves. New York City is our home, not a playground for your misplaced anger. After arriving late yesterday, former President Trump expected to make the short drive from Trump Tower to the courthouse later today, where he will formally be placed under arrest. During processing, Mr. Trump will not be handcuffed. It's unclear if a mugshot will be taken. We do know he'll be fingerprinted. Next, he'll be escorted to a courtroom for arraignment. The first time someone who once sat in the Oval Office will stand before a judge to face criminal charges. Trump's legal team says he will plead not guilty to what sources indicate will be roughly 30 counts. He's gearing up for a, a battle. Um, you know, this is something that obviously we believe is a political persecution. The court appearance is only expected to last a few minutes, and former President Trump plans to leave New York, returning to Florida immediately after the proceedings. And the former president says he will discuss the day's events from Mar-a-Lago later this evening. As for the district attorney here, Alvin Bragg, he plans to discuss the court case during a press briefing just after the arraignment. Frank, should be a very busy day down here in lower Manhattan. All right, Jay Gray live in New York City. Jay, thank you very much. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we tee up the trading day ahead and the new warning from Marco Kalanovic and his team over at J.P. Morgan on the road ahead for stocks. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with Disney CEO Bob Iger fighting back against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Speaking at Disney's shareholder meeting yesterday, Iger slammed Florida's recent actions to strip the entertainment giant of some of its powers within that state. Our point on this is that any action that thwarts those efforts simply to retaliate for a position the company took sounds not just anti-business, but it sounds anti-Florida. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And CNBC confirming a group of U.S. lawmakers will travel to California this week to meet with executives, including Bob Iger and Tim Cook, to discuss China-related topics. The group from Washington includes representatives from both parties on the House Select Committee investigating China. Apple is reportedly citing an unspecified number, excuse me, cutting an unspecified number of jobs in its corporate retail teams, according to Bloomberg. If confirmed, this would add Apple to the long list of tech giants that have been forced to trim headcounts. Shares of AMC Entertainment plunging in the pre-market after it agreed to a settlement related to a shareholder lawsuit around its announced stock conversion. This paves the way for AMC to convert its ape units into common stock and initiate a 10 to 1 reverse stock split. And shares of China's most valuable AI company since time soaring in Asian trading on reports is getting ready to launch a chat GPT rival. Shares spiked as much as 18 percent before closing off of those highs. And a jury says Tesla owes just over $3 million to a former black contract worker over racial abuse he endured on the job. The amount is less than the $137 million he was awarded two years ago before the retrial. All right, turning back to the markets and a new warning about stocks rode ahead from Marco Kalanovic and his team over at J.P. Morgan. In a new note, he says in part, any decline in yields is not a sign that the Fed is about to bring a punch bowl for tech stocks in our view, but rather a sign that recession probability has increased. We expect a reversal in risk sentiment and the market retesting last year's low over the coming months. The note adds that overall, investors should look through the noise and tactically take advantage of range-bound markets 
to assemble a defensively tilted portfolio. Let's bring in Sam Stovall, CFRA Research Chief Investment Strategist. Sam, great to see you in person. Always great to see you at the New York Stock Exchange. Thanks, Frank. Good to talk to you again. So uh, I want to start off with this take from Marco Klonovic and his team. Do you believe right now is the time to be defensive? Is that the way you see that portfolios should be balanced at this time? Well, I think we are approaching what's called the sell in May period. Uh, I've always told that investors don't retreat, rotate. You're better off gravitating toward the more defensive areas such as consumer staples and healthcare in that challenging May through October period. Uh, Pacer has uh, a seasonal rotation ETF, SZNE, uh, which I developed uh, that embraces that kind of a strategy. But I do agree also with their last statement that you basically look through the noise. You look beyond the valley because a year from now, our expectation is that share prices will be meaningfully higher. Meaningfully higher. So exactly what noise are you talking about? Are we talking the banking crisis? Are we talking rate hikes? What's the noise that you think investors need to look through? Well, there's a lot of noise out there. Uh, I, I think that the Fed will be raising rates two more times at the May meeting and also at the June meeting. Uh, I think that the uh, OPEC decision will help re- uh, maintain a stickiness to the inflation readings. And also, I think the Fed wants to ensure that they truly have strangled inflation, so higher for longer. <clears throat> but then I'm reminded that the Fed does tend to cut interest rates about nine months after the last rate hike and that the S&P has seen all sizes, styles, sectors in positive territory in that nine-month period, with the S&P up an average 13 percent. All right, so you're, you're bullish on equities, but Sam, I also want to get your take on the latest results from our CNBC survey of chief financial officers. This is an exclusive, exclusive look at what these financial decision makers think about a, a number of topics. This is focused on recession. 57 percent of global CFOs polled say they expect a recession in the second half of this year. 27% expecting it to come in the first half of next year, while 17% say they expect the Fed to actually pull off that soft landing. What's your take on this? Well, I think a mild recession is built into the cards already. I mean, we have just entered into an earnings recession uh, with earnings in the uh, fourth quarter of last year down about 4%, expected to be off 6.5% in the first quarter of 23, and then 6% in the second quarter. But I also like to say that you can rarely injure yourself by falling out of a basement window. (laughs) And with the expectations being so low right now, I think that there is room for upside surprise. Uh, So I think a lot of this negativity is already built into shares. And I'm impressed with how resilient the market has been in the face of it. I've never heard that basement window metaphor. That was an interesting one right there. Uh, Sam, I know you're also looking at small caps. Look at the Russell, only up about 2% this year compared to the S&P's 7% rise. Where are you seeing the opportunities in those small caps? Is it certain sectors within the small caps? Well, what's interesting is that the uh, small cap stocks have taken it on the chill chin in the uh, past quarter. Worries about the banking crisis, not only for smaller banks, but also uh, for their reluctance to lend to the smaller companies that that need that kind of assistance. Uh, But when you look at the valuations right now, both the S&P small cap 600 and mid cap 400 are trading at about a 35 percent relative P.E. discount to the S&P 500 on forward 12 month earnings. 
earnings. Uh, so a report that I wrote uh, just on Monday talked about those groups that tend to do fairly well in the second quarter. Uh, so areas like auto parts and equipment, like consumer finance, uh, environmental services, and energy, uh, oil and gas exploration and production are areas I think could do well. So when we're looking at small caps, when it comes to the Russell, at least, is this a buy the dip? Is this a chance to just buy that index and just hold on right now as, as it underperforms the rest of the market? Um, I think so, because certainly we can't know exactly when to time the movement. Uh, I do believe that technicals tell you uh, when and how far, whereas fundamentals tell you what. Uh, so by looking at the relative performance of small caps versus the larger caps right now, it's basically saying stay away, but some very nice long-term opportunities lay ahead. All right, Sam Stovall, great to have you here. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Frank. One quick look at futures before we let you get out of here. Futures solidly in the green across the board. We're seeing the Nasdaq, the best performer, up almost a half a percent. Um, much higher than we started this morning. Actually, just started the show. We saw, you know, kind of some moves to the upside and the downside. Fractionally higher, fractionally lower. But again, uh, all futures in the green right now. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.